Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. The Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. It's Doug, it's Steven, it's Nathan. We're a little something different on this Buckeye Talk. The second half of it is an interview with Clay Ratterman, who is a former Ohio State football walk-on who then did some American Ninja Warrior stuff. So, you know, I just got, I like the Ninja Warriors because I'm neither a ninja nor a warrior. The only thing I am in there is American. Uh, which is only by birth. You don't have to do anything special to get to be American, but you have to do something special to be a ninja or a warrior. So I'm the only the thing you just are by accident. I'm that. He was all of it. He has a great story about being a walk-on, participating in American Ninja Warrior. We sort of talk about the training of both. He just has like a really great, interesting story about like growing up a Buckeye fan and then trying his hardest to make the team. So that's just something different in the second half. But Nathan, Steven, and I are going to talk a little football here in the first half. And we've been talking about future rosters. We've been talking about recruiting. So Nathan and Steven, we're going to talk a little bit on this podcast about fifth-year players at a place like Ohio State and Steven just how would you describe how fifth year players work in at a place like Ohio State where you have a bunch of three-year guys who are leaving for the NFL a bunch of four-year guys and five-year guys you know aren't as common around here some schools out there we know there's some schools that you work and you sort of maybe can build your team sometimes around the fifth year guys. And once you get a, a really good group of veterans, maybe like a slightly lesser school, sometimes that's when you peak when you have a bunch of fifth year dudes leading the way, not necessarily how it works at Ohio state, but how should our listeners view Ohio state Buckeyes in year five? I think the 2020 recruiting class, those four of those six offensive linemen are a perfect way to view guys who are probably fifth year guys. They're lower rated guys in the 400s, even 500s, guys like Grant Teuton and Josh Fryer and Trey LaRue and Jacob James. Those guys are going to be here probably for five years, and it's going to be a slow developmental process, but they might have only a, a year where they're a starter if there's maybe a recruiting miss, but then you've got like an older guy in that position instead of maybe relying on a five-star true freshman to start on your offensive line 
or it's just guys like that guys who at best they maybe start a year or and at worst maybe they're just around for five years they know the program they've they've got experience within the program and they're a good sixth offensive lineman so that's a good place to start when you think of guys who are recruited here with the idea that they're going to be fifth year guys there are some guys that almost i think you can maybe see it sort of in the progression of them as a player that like uh, maybe it's sort of always is the plan for them to be a fifth year guy um nathan is it like does ohio state need like a couple solid fifth year dudes like to be at their best as a program or are they viewed more as like a bonus you think in your mind well and and it's Steven makes a good point when he's talking about that 2020 class but i think you almost set offensive linemen aside in some ways because it's almost more uncommon to not have a fifth year offensive lineman in a lot of ways, right? There's some positions where it's more common than others. I think in general, in some ways it's a bonus, but at the same time, I, I think once a guy gets to his fifth year and, and I know that this past year was really janky and that throws it off, throws this conversation off a little bit because there are guys coming back for extra years for reasons that they would have had that option before. But I think typically if you're coming back for that fifth year, it's, it's something that's mutually beneficial for both that player and for Ohio State. I think sometimes we look at it as um, you maybe don't want too many of them at Ohio State because I think the way Ohio State recruits, you're supposed to be cycling guys through, you know, getting guys through in three years or having immediate impact guys that play for four years or play quickly and get their four years out and they're all off to, to the pros. And I, I understand why there's sometimes this 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 push as in if a guy's here for 50 year, maybe that means something went wrong. But I also think that there, everybody has a different development ladder and, and there's guys who are going to get there a little bit later. And I think as we've seen in the past couple of years, um, guys can be here for that fifth year and, and, and still reach their professional aspirations, still kind of hit their peak the way Ohio state needs them to. So I think you have to have some, I think I'd be surprised if, if you have a team or a program that goes very long and doesn't and succeeds with, without some, because again, you you guys just whether it's injury or whether it's just the, the development doesn't happen quite as fast as people expected. I think you've got to account for all of those options. It does often apply apply to offensive linemen more than anywhere else. And the thing that I do think the thing the stories that we love and we have talked about over the years is sort of that guy who really in year five for the first time does something. And there are two examples maybe that stick out to me not only these guys, but I think good examples of this in my career here in 2014 and 2015, Ohio state's right tackle first on a national championship team, then on a, a, a national championship quality team were both fifth year guys who were one year starters. And in 2014, it was Daryl Baldwin who was the number two Oh four overall player in the 2010 recruiting class. So that's a pretty, you know, decently highly ranked guy, but it just kind of took him that long to get to that point. And then in 2015, it was Chase Ferris, who was the number 161 overall player in the class of 2011. And Chase had played a little bit here and there. He had actually gone back and forth between offense and defense at times. He had been moved around on the offensive line. He settles in, has a job, does a really good job as the right tackle in 2015. Those are back-to-back fifth-year guys as one-year starters. And I do think those are great stories. And if you can wait, because sometimes, you know, I think maybe the level of play that a fifth-year senior brings you, let's say he's a, I don't know, 
they play for their starters for Ohio State. I don't mean moderately talented, but by Ohio State standards, that these guys weren't flying off NFL draft boards. I think sometimes like a moderately talented fifth year senior might play at a similar level to like a really skilled first or second year guy. For instance, like Harry Miller had some troubles this year. Harry Miller, by the end of his career, is going to be awesome. But maybe if Ohio State had just had a, a fifth year guy who they could have plugged into that spot, that guy's not as talented as Harry Miller, but he's been around forever. Maybe he plays at a level that's similar or maybe, maybe some ways even better. I actually will be honest, though, I don't see a ton of that with these teams the past couple of years. On the 2020 Ohio State roster, this is my count, I had six guys from the class of 2016 who were on the roster in year five in 2020. That's Luke Farrell and Tuff Borland as like multi-year starters who stuck around for year five, right? It's Drew Chrisman as the punter. Special teams guys are of their own thing, but Drew Chrisman was good, another multi-year starter. Then it's Demario McCall and Jake Hausman who were around for five years but and, and played, but never started, never broke through. And then it's Coop. So maybe Coop is that example. Maybe Cooper does fit this better. Hey, listen, man, that guy like had it. Maybe he's what I'm talking about. He had played some along the way, though. He didn't come out of nowhere in year five. But I guess, you know, I'm not exactly talking about Luke Farrell and Tuff Borland because those guys are important. And I don't, we, we do want to talk about those type of guys a little bit. Hey, you're a three-year starter who stays five years. Maybe it takes you two years to develop. You start in year three, then you start in year four, start in year five. But Stephen, is Coop, like is that, when you think about sort of like what a fifth-year senior can do for a team, how much is Jonathan Cooper like a great example of that? What he did as a fifth-year senior is a great example of that. But I think what led up to it, not really, because, I mean, he's really only a fifth-year senior because of injury. Yeah. But the the idea of he as a fifth-year guy here, he was one of the, the impact players on your defense. That idea, yes. that That's exactly what you look for in a fifth-year guy. Just take away the, the first four years. Just – didn't play, but then all of a sudden he did what Coop did in his fifth year. That's exactly what a fifth, what you want from your fifth-year seniors. He had his best year in year five. Yeah. Whatever the path was to get to year five, he peaked at the end. And if there was any question about sticking around or how it worked out, he maximized his fifth year, mm -hmm. both for himself and for the team. Nathan, how do you evaluate guys like Tough Borland and Luke Farrell? Because – this, I think there are some similarities with basketball. Basketball is more stark, but a lot of times, I mean, it's sometimes I, I've talked about over the years, we all have. Would you rather have like a one-year guy who's an NBA guy who comes in, plays for one year, is great, and then is the, you know, 16th pick in the draft? Or would you rather have like a four-year guy, whether or not he's an NBA guy, but he plays four years, he's a multi-year starter. A guy like Luke Farrell, a guy like Tuff Borland, they're not going to be first-round draft picks, but – Yes, you'd take Chase Young over guys like that. So Nick Bosa was in their recruiting class, right? All right, well, Nick Bosa was here for three years. You'd rather have Nick Bosa, but Nick Bosa was only here for three years and really two and a half, two and a, two and a, a fifth. Luke Farrell and Tuff Borland put in five good, hard years of being a Buckeye. And I guess if you said to me, do you want all Nick Bosa's? I wouldn't want all Nick Bosa's because I'd want at least some Luke Farrell's and tough Borland's for your program, Nathan. 
Well, that's good because you're not going to have all Nick Bosa's. That's the point. Like you can't, you can't do it. Like you can't have a Nick Bosa at every spot. You can't have a Chase Young, a Jeff Okuda, a Justin Fields at every spot. And you really can't even do that every single time at those positions, as we've seen, as we saw with Jonathan Cooper. I think it, it's got to be a mix of both. Like I said, everybody has a different developmental arc. Um, and if if it were realistic, maybe that, if it were realistic, that's what you would take. You would take a three year guy at every spot, I suppose, and that was just a stud that was just awesome. And you would dominate the first two rounds of the NFL draft every year. But nobody does that. It, it, it takes a mix. And I think um, Ohio State has done a pretty good job. I think the Farrell is interesting to me. Look at Farrell and Ruckert. I mean, I feel like if you take either one of those guys out of last year's offense, something's off. Like it doesn't work as well. Those two guys in tandem, I thought brought something together and it was two different kinds of guys. Really record ended up not leaving, but he could have, we think he could have, he would have been drafted this April. That would have been a three and done guy and a combination of of, of a five-year guy. But in a lot of ways, it was, it was the combination of those two guys working as one almost that brought something different to this offense that made this offense more than it would have been if it was just either one of those guys by himself. I think that is a great example. I think that is a great example. And again, if he would have been a three-year guy, that's like a, a fifth year and a third year different paths, but bringing you like exactly kind of what you want from both of those guys and meshing together to make the tight end position really good in 2020. Not a ton of guys. And again, this is the COVID thing. We're going to keep having these COVID wrinkles. When we think about the 2021 team, there are six guys from the 2017 recruiting class who are still on the roster for 2021. But three of them would not be around if not for the COVID thing, because three of them are guys who otherwise would have exhausted their eligibility because they did play in their first year. And that's Haskell Garrett, Thayer Munford, and Marcus Williamson, right? But they are going to wind up being like great examples of this, but they're kind of weird examples. The other three guys who actually redshirted and would be back just as normal redshirt fifth-year seniors from 2017 are Jalen, Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner at receiver and Jaron Cage on the defensive line. And I don't know that any of the three of them are going to fit any of this model. Like Maybe Cage, because there maybe is some opportunity in there. Now, Antoine Jackson, I guess, also fits in here in some way, but he was a junior college guy, so he's not a full fifth-year guy, not all here at Ohio State. But if I'm looking for Daryl Baldwin, right, if I'm looking for uh, Chase Ferris, there isn't really that, I don't think. And it makes me wonder a little bit, Nathan, like are we – is Ohio State, I don't know, going to get away from that at all in the transfer world because are we going to enter a world where it's like, well, if you don't establish by like year three or four that you're going to ever be a starter – maybe you leave that maybe, maybe it will be harder to have the sort of one year starter as a fifth year senior, the Daryl Baldwin that really helps your team. Maybe those will become harder to find in this new modern world with both with the level that Ohio state's recruiting at, like, you know, Daryl Baldwin in the 2010 class, you know, there weren't 15 top 100 guys in that class. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't know, Nathan. I, I don't know if, they might be harder to find in future years with the Buckeyes. And I, I think the best example of this, maybe during my time here, was Davon Hamilton. Like he wasn't really even a starter, right, until his good fifth example. Year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think I think it's possible that you might be right about that. Um, and you may even see fewer guys like this linebacker crew that sticks around for even just four years to get their shot finally in that fourth year. 
Um, so that I think that's something that has to be repaired in recruiting, though. But in some ways, it already kind of is being repaired in recruiting, because I don't know if you you don't necessarily recruit that way, right? Thinking that, well, five years down the line, this guy will finally play for us. You've probably already started recruiting him behind him, right? In, in most instances. So I don't know that it's ever going to be a, a catastrophe, well, but that'll be kind of a case-by-case basis, I think. There's probably going to be at some point in the, in the future. I think we even brought this up a couple weeks ago in a different way on this podcast when we were talking about uh, kind of the way transfers may change in the next few years. I think it's going to be more common, which means ever, that you might say, boy, Ohio State really, it would have been good if they could have kept that guy. It, it, that guy slipped away after his sophomore year because it looked like he wasn't going to play. How much of a difference would he make this year? Like it, there would have been somebody maybe that that applied to um, if you looked at last year's secondary or something. You know what I mean? Like where there would have been a gap and you would have been like, oh, if that guy had just stuck around another two years, I know he would have had to sacrifice, but he really would have helped this team. But instead he went off to go play um, as a three-year starter at um, NC State or whatever. So um, I think that will happen. I think there, there will be an instance of that in the future. And But as we talked about, I think it probably gets it go, it, it gets washed out a little bit by Ohio State's going to be pulling some of those people too from other places. And that's what happens when you recruit basically everybody in your class is a top 200 guy. You look at the 21 class, the only guys who are outside of the top 200, one's an offensive lineman, one's a tight end, which, I mean, those are two positions where you kind of expect that anyway. And then Jalen Johnson, who's going to come in and play that bullet Sam linebacker position. So, you're yeah, he's rated low, but, I mean, given what they actually want him to do, he might not be rated low for that type of job. It is interesting. These guys, these wouldn't have been fifth-year guys last year, but they would have been fourth-year guys last year that would have fit if they would yeah. have stuck around what you're talking about, Nathan, Isaiah Pryor and Brendan White were both safeties who started at one time at Ohio State. And it was like, oh, no, there's not really a job for you. And they transferred. And Isaiah Pryor went to Notre Dame and Brendan White went to Rutgers. Brendan White actually also declared for the draft. So he's not sticking around for his fifth year of college regardless. But we're talking about, hey, from this 2017 class, there's only six guys on this roster. Brendan White or Isaiah Pryor may be in a different era, right? Like maybe they would have been, even if it got a little hinky for them early on, maybe they would be sticking around in year. They'd be here for year five right now in 2021 to be that guy, but they already left. And again, that's not against them. I'm just saying, as we're talking about it, as fans are wondering about it and looking for it, some of those guys are going to leave. Some of those guys who might be the next era Baldwin and Chase Ferris are going to leave. So as we analyze this, this 2017 class, again, a bunch of guys went to the NFL. Some guys transferred six guys still on the roster. Again, Garrett and Munford are already established. They're great players who chose to take advantage of. They've played four years. They don't actually have normal eligibility left, but they're coming back because of the COVID rule. Marcus Williamson, to some degree, is there any reason, Stephen, like Jalen Harris, Elijah Gardner, or Jaron Cage? I mean, it's just I don't know that any of us are counting on much of any of those three for this season. Uh, Cage is the only one where you can probably bet he'll have the opportunity to do it in, in some way because he'll be in that defensive tackle rotation. But the other two, I mean, they're probably not going to get on the field. So. so here's the final point that we want to make on this, and it's just something to think about. Davon Hamilton that Nathan brought up. Ohio guy, Daryl Baldwin, Ohio guy, Chase Ferris, Ohio guy, Luke Farrell, Ohio guy, Jonathan Cooper, Ohio guy. I don't think that's coincidental that sometimes when you think of these, who are these fifth year guys 
that either stick around or fifth year guys who wait and pop late. I think Hamilton is an example of some of them. It's recruiting related. Davon Hamilton was not a super highly rated recruit. He got kind of got a late offer, came in late, kind of showed late in his career that he earned an Ohio state offer. We've seen other guys like that. You know, Darren Lee was kind of a guy like that. And it just turns out that Darren Lee is like a three-year player, but Steven, some of it is connected. Some of it is if you give a scholarship or two to an Ohio kid that's lower rated, he might be a developmental prospect might be on the offensive line quite possibly, but might not be. You increase, I think, the chances of this happening. And now this 2019 class that we, we often talk about as like, well, it wasn't as good. It wasn't as highly rated. It was 14th in the country. It's the crossover Ryan Day, Urban Meyer class. That 2019 class has a, low, has a lot of guys like this. That they might, that class might not pop until 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. When we were talking about the 2023 team, there might be some fifth-year guys who were lower-rated recruits who actually popped that year and kind of help out unexpectedly. And then we'll be saying, hey, that's great. Look, they these lower-rated guys are popping. But yet at the same time, Stephen, who other than me occasionally being a wingnut is going to be like, oh, they're recruiting too many good players. How come they didn't save a spot for this number 687 kid from Ohio who deserved a late offer, right? But there is some connection, I think, to that kind of recruit and a fifth-year senior who pops. And Deron Cage fits that. You know, he's from Southern Ohio, an Ohio kid who could fit that. Obviously, as you bring up the 2019 class, I mean, Ryan, we, we just did a, a, a who we think might be the starters in 2023, and – tackle was pretty interesting i mean ryan jacoby an ohio guy who will be a who would be a fifth year guy would fit that completely instead of having tegra to who might as we just saw with harry miller guys might not be ready their second year on that off second year in the program as an offensive lineman to be a starter why not just plug in ryan jacoby for a year and in the name of we've seen that before that just works out and that's your right tackle in that situation so yeah it it, it pays dividends and we see it, it to bring basketball back into this as well. That's part of the problem with a lot of Chris Holtman's classes is he didn't have Ohio guys and everybody kept transferring DJ Carden, uh, Luther Muhammad, uh, Jadon Ladi, they all kept transferring out because they weren't playing. And so he had to reset his entire recruiting philosophy. And now you see it with the 2021 class where that's all Ohio guys. And I think Ryan day has a similar philosophy here where he does kind of save some spots in the lower end, but he didn't have to do that in 2021. Cause all the Ohio guys they went after also just happened to be top 150 players in the country. But I think tip 2020, you saw it, you, Save some spots for some Ohio guys who are who may be a little bit slower in their development, but they're not going to leave because they grew up wanting to play in this jersey. And another guy, he's not an Ohio guy, but Nathan, you know, you were kind of figuring out maybe how to work him in or not potentially under 2023 thing is like a guy like Dewan Jones. That again, it's like a, bit of, a little bit of a developmental guy. Maybe he's a guy that doesn't pop until year five, but is it, he's from Indiana is a great example of this. It's interesting we're talking about this because last night when I sat down to write the post for the podcast that we did about the, the 2023 lineups, I hadn't written it out with the classes involved. I had just done in terms of their players, and I looked at the classes, obviously, just to, to see who was actually going to be around, but I hadn't written it down, and it was just all juniors for 2023 the way that I had projected it. And I think if anything, I've learned anything from these first two years covering Ohio State is that that probably will not be the case. I think what Steven's saying um, with – with someone like Max Ray, I think, and I had Enoch Vamahi on that list too, but those are the kind of guys that tend to uh, positions like that, that I don't know if, if the, if the Ohio state coaching staff 
right now just leans that way, or if that's how it's supposed to be happening, that a fifth-year guy should be beating out a second-year guy who may have a higher talent ceiling but doesn't have the skill yet, doesn't maybe even have sometimes as much strength and things like that. Uh, so I think that's where we, we look back at this in three years. That's where I'm going to maybe be the most wrong is that some of those fifth-year guys – ended up winning jobs over some of these young, super talented guys, at least to start the year. And I think Nathan, like is, is the best mix. And I think I misspoke the the class where they really had a bunch of the lower rated offensive linemen is 2020. It's not 2019, but like Ryan Jacoby, I'm going to go through some of the 2019 guys that actually might fit this. Nathan is the, is the best solution in the end, some mix of it that you're saying, okay, you did wind up because you're going by recruiting rankings for that 2023 thing. You wind up with a lot of juniors, but is maybe the best solution that, yeah, of course, it's a great recruiting class. There are a lot of juniors, but Hey, look, there is a fifth year senior kind of unexpectedly who pops in there. Is that, is there some kind of special mix in the stew that maybe your ideal starting lineup is not 22 guys who are all juniors from a highly ranked recruiting class, you do have a couple here and there older guys mixing in. I, I mean, you want to have the best players. I mean, if I yeah. would ask a coach this question, Ryan Day would say, well, you're just going to play the best players. We don't care what class they are. So I get that. But there's also something about building a team that's more than just best players, best players, best mm-hmm. players necessarily. Exactly. And I think I think ideal is a tough word. Maybe it's going to be case by case basis, but I think it's just naturally what happens that there's guys who come in and they are going to be better. They have more talent. They have more skill. They have more whatever X factor. So by the end of their career, they're going to have done better things over the course of it. But that day, you know, starting the season of their sophomore year, they might not be as good as the lower ranked guy who's been there growing and working and developing for five years. I think that's naturally what's supposed to happen somewhere on the field. It may not happen at every spot, but I think it's going to happen somewhere. And then there's going to be other spots where a guy is just too talented that you can't keep him off the field. That's, that's I think, the way it is supposed to work for Ohio State. Brandon Bowen, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer is probably a prime example of that where Nicholas Petit-Ferrer is obviously the more talented guy there. He's a five-star guy, number one player in his class, while Brandon Bowen was a lower-rated guy. But he's been around, obviously he dealt with some injuries, but there are some things that we, we I don't think we all consider was Nicholas Petit first still had to put on weight. He wasn't there physically yet and ready and capable to play on the offensive line of Ohio State. And so instead of going with the younger guy who's more talented, even if he's not ready, you go with the older guy who has some experience as a starter, has some experience as a player. And 2019 offensive line was great. It was one of the best offensive lines in the country. As a matter of fact, it was a finalist for the, for the award for the best offensive line in the country. And you plug in Nicholas Petit for the year after, and he's fine. If we look again at this 2019 recruiting class, sort of in the context of that 2023 starting lineup discussion that we had, again, we've talked about 2019. It had four players, only four, and it, it is really an only in a place like Ohio State because some years they have 13 guys who are among the top 100 players in the country. Only four but there are guys that really could fit this description of like a year five guy who pops in 2023. Ryan Jacoby on the offensive line, Steven, you nailed it. He could be one. Tommy Eichenberg, linebacker from St. Ignatius in Cleveland. Maybe a guy like that. Noah Potter, another mentor guy, another Northeast Ohio guy, number 334 player in that class. Maybe Bryson Shaw at safety. He's from Maryland, number 575. Maybe Craig Young, a guy who we think has a chance to make some noise at linebacker this year, but 
He also could wind up pushed down by the guys older than him. If he doesn't pop right away, he's the number 609 player in that class from Indiana. And then Dewan Jones, who like wasn't even in the top thousand when he was ranked and is just like, was this great kind of athlete that was hard to fit in. He was a basketball guy, but there are some candidates there. And so I don't know that it's like they are. I don't know that they're the difference between Ohio state, like winning a national title or not, you know, Daryl Baldwin, as great as he was that year, wasn't the difference between Ohio state winning the national championship or not. Not when you have Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott and Vaughn bell and everybody else, but you know what? It was awesome. I remember talking to Daryl Baldwin in the, in the locker room after the national championship game. And he looked like the happiest person on the planet. And this is a fifth-year guy from Ohio who fought and stayed and stuck it out and in his last year made an absolute true contribution as a starter to a national championship team. So, Nathan, maybe it's just me selfishly, right? Like you root for the story a little bit. But, I mean, listen, man, I love Nick Bosa. I love Vaughn Bell. I love Ezekiel Elliott. I love I love. Dwayne Haskins. I love all the guys who are great players and get through here in three years. Awesome. But man, some of those fifth year guys, they really stick with you too. And I think sometimes the fans really appreciate that. So maybe we're just rooting for the story and Ohio state kind of will be fine either way. Well, I think the fifth year conversation also brings together two things that we've been talking about recently, the 2018 class and this 2023 thing that we were talking about. Not, I guess not so much a second one, but, but the 2023 thing made me think of how good this team could be in 2022. Like we, we were talking about how, how awesome they could be in 2023. Well, all those guys that we think could be third-year starters in 23 will be potentially sophomore major contributors. I think that 2022 team could be really strong. So then look at the redshirt juniors for 2021 that would be those fifth-year guys. I mean, these names are really like Master Teague, Matthew Jones, Nicholas petit Frere, although we think he might be – a pro after this year, uh, Max Ray, Javante Jean Baptiste, Teron Vincent, Cameron Brown, Marcus Hooker. You can even throw Tyreek Johnson there. Like those are guys who would be fifth year guys for 2022. And you can see going down that list of names at those positions and where we think Ohio State might still need some veteran help. Like that's how critical those kind of guys could be to how good that team could be in 22. So Ohio State's tackles next year in 2022 could be Paris Johnson on the left side and Max Ray on the right side. I mean, like Max Ray, it's like, hey, remember Max Ray? Like he got that one game in 2020 kind of out of nowhere where they really need it. And he did his job. And then look, in year five, he popped. I mean, he's not an Ohio kid, but that is absolutely he is exactly the kind of player who maybe would fit that mold. A gold mine of that type of mold. That's the number 121 player in the country in the 2018 class. That's not like the Brandon Bowen example where that's a guy in the 500s who needed five years. That's a, a pretty talented guy who probably would be a starter on pretty much every other team in the Big Ten right now. And if, you know, anybody related to Max Ray is listening to this, you know, the, the thing is, if you think you have a much better chance, listen, Max Ray is good enough. He could transfer a bunch of other places and basically be assured of starting right at some point, right? That that's the kind of player that he is. And here it could happen, but it's not assured. But, you know, Max Ray, let, let the story of Daryl Baldwin and Chase Ferris remind you that it, that it still could happen here. Like if you want to stick it out here, but that's just going to be the thing, right? I mean, I've been, again, I don't mean to keep talking. I've been talking to guys from past Ohio state generations who say things like, Hey, if I had the transfer portal back when I played, 
Kenny Guyton said that when I talked to Kenny Guyton recently. Kenny Guyton, beloved Buckeye, the, the person I consider to be the perfect backup quarterback on the college level, in part because I always kind of thought, you know what? He was a lower-rated guy in recruiting. He didn't demand, like, hey, if I don't play right away, I'm out of here. He's your perfect backup quarterback. He said, man, if I had the transfer portal when I was playing, I probably would have been out of there, right? I mean, like, that's the thing. And then he stayed, won them games, absolutely saved Ohio State at times, and set himself up for a career. He's now the receivers coach at Arkansas. Like, that guy's a fast riser in the coaching business. But if it was right now, if it was right now, he might have gone to be the starting quarterback at Iowa State or something, right? So, Nathan, that's just – that's just – we realize it, but it does – it is a new factor that when we look into the past, we're not always going to get the right picture. Yeah, and, I, and again, those I think those things are going to be case-by-case basis. I, I think, though, that Ohio State it, – it, there is enough here – there's enough examples, I think, that a coaching staff can point to of guys who the perseverance paid off that maybe they'll be able to stem that a little bit, whereas another – maybe a, a lower tier big 10 program would have an even bigger problem with this guys leaving to go to a Mac school, go to another kind of school like that, leaving, you know, Purdue or, or um, Rutgers or whatever to go to a smaller place. Cause they're not going to wait out that opportunity. I think at Ohio state in a weird way, they seem to be able to, to almost maybe work that a, a different way because you're going to be part of winning and because they can point to guys who it paid off for. Yeah. You, you, this is definitely a school where you can use the listen, you might sit around, but then that one year you pop and then the NFL is in love with you because we've seen it at different levels all throughout. Davon, we mentioned Davon Hamilton, obviously Marshawn Adam turning into a first round, but it's enough ca- different cases and different ways of it, of it occurring. But you didn't play for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden you got on the field and now all of a sudden you're getting paid millions of dollars. But I think yeah. that's what's tricky too. It's like if you're to get a guy to stick around for that NFL promise, that's a, that's a that's a tricky balancing act to me. Larry Johnson having to go to someone like Davon Hamilton, and I don't know if this was ever a dynamic that was happening in their relationship, but to be like, hey, like you need to listen to me. Like you are legitimately that good. I'm gonna get you there. There's just a guy in front of you. You, I can't give you that many snaps yet, but it's gonna be there. Versus sometimes a guy who doesn't really have an NFL future. We don't know how much of an NFL future Tough Borland has or Marcus Williamson coming back for a fifth year. We don't really know what, what NFL future those guys have. But to get them to stick around that long and, and still make an impact in that fifth year helps those teams typically. All right, so that was 50-year Buckeyes. We just wanted to touch on that. It's, I, I do – we didn't really structure it this way, but, like, I love roster building, and I, and I love the balance of stuff. I love it at the NFL level. I love it at the college level. It is a dance. It is not – you know, and I think like Kentucky basketball over the years has been an interesting example of this, of like at some point you can have too many five stars and you have too many guys moving in and out and you don't build a team. And yeah, you have great players, but is your team winning at the highest level? And like I do, it is a fascinating dance and I like talking about it and I like trying to figure out who might be these next great stories. And so I, I don't know that we're going to have one in 2021, but I think there's a possibility as we outlined here, you might see a couple of these fifth year guys pop in 2022, 2023. All right. We're talking uh, walk-ons and Ninja warriors next on Buckeye talk. Joined on Buckeye talk by Clay Ratterman 
former Ohio State walk-on. Now he's a ninja warrior, and I will tell just for the listeners, this is not a surprise to anyone listening to this. Clay and I are doing this on Zoom. I can see him. I'm a little intimidated because he's kind of ripped, and I can just, <laughs> I just get, you know, I mean, I've been, I, Clay, I've been talking to football players for 15 years, so you're not the first ripped person I talk to, but it's a little different. Like you're in your kitchen being ripped instead of like in a football practice. So True. I'll try to not let it bother me. Um, <laughs> but, but thank you for joining us here on Buckeye Talk. It's a pleasure. And I, I appreciate the compliment. I'm definitely, uh, I'm, I'm definitely not as ripped as some of the football players that are out there. So I'll take what I can get. Yeah. You're, you're more ripped than podcast hosts. So you are, I know you have your own podcast. If we did a, like one of those, like, uh, you know, evolution of man on uh, a podcast host thing. I'm at the fat guy end and you are at the rip guy end. So, um, all right. So we'll get into that. You know, Clay's got his own podcast. He's doing a million different things. But the reason Clay is on here is because we were talking on a recent book. I talked sort of about like football and Ninja Warrior stuff. And how many people mm. in the world are there that can relate the two? Clay's one of them. Clay played for, a, was a walk-on at Ohio State and then got into Ninja Warrior stuff. So that is what I really want to dig into, Clay, is like, yeah. how, what, how do you compare the two? What's different yeah. about the two? But let's just do a little bit of the background here. Walked on as a safety for the Buckeyes in 2017. Is that correct? Yeah, and actually, I'll, I'll kind of give you the, the rundown of how this all got started because I think it, it – Actually, the two, the Ninja Warrior stuff and the Ohio State football stuff coincide very closely, and it's a very weird story. Um, so when I was in uh, when I was in high school, basically I played football. I was uh, probably good enough to go and play, you know, lower D1, D2, you know, maybe walk on somewhere. Um, I did really well my senior year, but you know, beyond that, when you're trying to get recruited, you need to do really well your junior, sophomore, freshman year, um, that type of thing. So I was kind of a, a late bloomer in the sense. And um, my grandpa was actually my my like number one supporter. He was the guy that was like standing out there in the stands uh, for my high school games, like first one to show up there, last one to leave kind of thing. And so my grandpa really wanted me to go on and play college football. And I was like, look, like I really want to go to Ohio State probably not going to happen. Like I'm not going to get recruited at this point in time. Um, so I kind of just put football on the back burner and was like, yeah, you know, I, I really just want to get in and get accepted to Ohio state. So luckily uh, I got off the wait list. Actually, I was deferred from Ohio state, then waitlisted, and then accepted the final day of my senior year of high school. Wow. So I was, it was very uh, uh, arduous journey, which was interesting because I, I had pretty decent grades um, and a decent essay or ACT. And so Anyway, long story short, make it to Ohio State. And um, my freshman year, I'm watching them play, and they win the national championship. And it kind of was like a dagger to me. Like, you'd think, like, every student should be, like, super excited that we won the national championship. But every time I would watch the games, I would have a feeling of, like, oh, my gosh. Like, I should have tried. I should have tried to go and make the team. Like, I should have tried harder. I should have done something different in my life to where – I was on the field rather than sitting here watching the game. Yeah. Um, and so that like was sinking in on me. And then my grandpa ended up getting, uh, he had cancer at the time and his cancer was progressively getting worse. And so he was actually in hospice and it was probably the last time that I saw him. Um, I made a promise to him that I was going to walk on to the football team. And so I was a, I was a freshman at the time and a uh, very naive freshman <laughs> at that 
And uh, I basically, he passed away like a week later and I was like, okay, so I just made my grandpa this promise. He passed away. Like who am I as a man if I don't at least try my absolute best to honor this promise? And so for me, um, I'm always somebody that seeks out challenges. I immediately started trying to figure out, okay, like how do I reverse engineer this walk-on thing and figure out how to make it on the team? So I went to these, uh, they had like these um, basically fastest student races where they oh, would, yeah. yeah, they'd bring all the students in during these spring practices and they'd be like, all right, let's have you guys race against a bunch of people. So I thought like, okay, that this is a good opportunity for me. I'm pretty fast. I'll, I'll try to go to this fastest student race, win that. And maybe it'll like catch some eyes and I can, you know, figure out how to get on the team from there. So that was my first attempt, go to the fastest student race, make it to like the finals and then lose. And so I didn't go to like run in the spring game or anything. Okay. Um, and I, so I was pretty bummed and I'm like, okay, like this isn't working out. I trained for an entire year, show up the second year to the fastest student race. I'm now a sophomore. Um, I actually end up winning this time and going to run in the spring game, which is like the finals of the fastest student race. Yep. Uh, end up losing in that. And so then I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm getting nowhere here. And I'm just like running in circles, trying the same things. And so finally I started like, you know, cold calling, emailing, figuring out, okay, what's the deal here? How do I walk on? I'd been training for, you know, two years now and I still had football on my mind. I still really wanted to honor this promise. And so I finally got an email back from a guy who was the walk-on coordinator at the time. And he basically told me that, uh, you know, tryouts were going to be in August. So it was, you know, sophomore or yeah, it was the summer of my sophomore year. I'm still training. I've been training for two years now. Um, so I took a job at Rogue Fitness and Rogue Fitness, you know, for those of you guys who are in Columbus, they're a big, really like weightlifting manufacturing company, almost like they, they basically sell all the different type of weightlifting equipment and they had an awesome gym at the time. So I'm like, I'm going to get a job at this place. I'm going to train oh. all summer. And, uh, yeah, essentially I was like, I'm going to train all summer and go, go walk on. So this is how Ninja Warrior starts to play in. I'm training at Rogue Fitness. I'm training for football. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, similar to you and your family, you'd mentioned this before. You guys are big Ninja Warrior fans, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Love the uh, – I actually have a friend from college who's like one of the producers for it. But okay. you and I you and I watch it very differently, Clay. <laughs> you would watch Ninja Warrior and say, wow, I want to do that. I watch it and say, oh, my God, how do they do that? So, but yes, we do enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, similar boat to you. I was never, um, you know, I was never like, Oh, I, I really need to, to try that and do that specific thing. It was more my brother. My brother was actually, he's like the, the ninja of the family in, in the sense that he can, he can climb everything. He can, like, he can do all that stuff. I was more of the brute kind of like, I, I just want to play football and do my thing. Um, and he was more of like the, I don't know, acrobatic type. And so my brother actually, um, I think it was like maybe his girlfriend at the time or something sent him this thing that said like, we're doing college Ninja Warriors. The first time ever they allowed anybody of this age range to actually okay. compete on Ninja Warrior. So it used to be, I think either it was either 18, or I actually think it was 21 and up. I think you had to be older than 21 to do a Ninja Warrior. So this is the first time they were allowing college students to actually be on Ninja Warrior. And so um, they were doing, they were taking teams of three and they were saying, like, if you do an application video, we're going to pit you against other schools. So it'd be like, you know, big time rivalry schools. So my brother and I 
we both went to Ohio State at the time, and we're like, oh my gosh, we have a shoe in for this because we're at Ohio State. They're definitely going to pick Ohio State as a school because Ohio State versus Michigan's a massive rivalry. And then on top of that, we have the edge of being the brother team. Yeah. So we were like, okay, we're going to be the brother duo on the Ohio State team against Michigan. So uh, we were correct. The producers were really into that once we submitted our videos. Um, and so it was teams of three. One of them was a girl. So we had Bryn Schlimitz on as well. Um, so it was my brother, me, and Bryn. And basically, I'd, we had sent this submission video in while I'm training at Rogue Fitness. So I'm training like exclusively for football. My brother's over here like, no, we need to be training for Ninja Warrior in case we get accepted. Because for the longest time, you don't know if you're going to make it on the show or not. You just send a video in and you're like, you know, well, I guess we'll see what happens. And so the video essentially, you know, gets us on the show. But it wasn't until like August that we even knew that we were accepted. So I had gone through the whole summer not really training for Ninja Warrior and pretty much just training for football. And then the tryout is also in August. So all of a sudden, and this is super weird, but the day I'm supposed to be flying out to Ninja Warrior to compete is the same day as my tryout for football. And August, and you're flying what, to Vegas? Or where are you flying for Ninja Warrior? I'm flying to LA. LA, okay. So it's on like a, it's on like a Thursday is this tryout. And, and I'll, I'm also confused because I knew nothing about the tryout other than the fact that I'm like, why are we trying out for a team when they already went through fall camp and they're about to start the season? I'm like, I don't even understand like how I would be integrated into the team and how this would work. So I was really confused off the get go. And I was like, but this is my only shot. Like I actually have a shot at an open tryout. And so for me, I actually prioritized football over the flight and I skipped my flight to LA. And uh, like, so they pay for your flights out there. I skipped my flight and just showed up late, um, a little bit late, which ended up being fine. Like no one really noticed or said anything. I just took a red eye and like booked it separate and just, you know, went out there. So it ended up being okay. Everything worked out, but, um, I went to the tryout, uh, basically did the best I've ever done at any tryout that you like, you know, at least for me in terms of like 40 yard dash shuttle, all that good stuff and, um, didn't make the team. So I, one of my friends was there too. And I guess they told him that uh, they didn't have any roster spots at the time. Now I'm not even sure if I would have made it if they did have roster spots, but uh, that was basically the gist of it. And I was super, super bummed. So I left there knowing for like for certain that I didn't make it flew out to Ninja warrior to compete on my first ever time on the show, which was the team edition. Um, And we did. Okay. I mean, we, we beat Michigan, which is all the Buckeye fans. I mean, that's the whole point. You beat Michigan, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Once we beat Michigan, and this is the thing that I didn't realize. Uh, we beat Michigan, so I'm sitting there celebrating, and then they're like, oh, like, Clay, you have to race again. Like, we were doing a racing edition of the show where we're racing these other teams, and it's like a bracket style. So we beat Michigan, and then my brother and I are like, oh, man, like, we have to race again, like, right now. And so we ended up, like, tying with the team and then losing to them in overtime or something like that. So it was like a, a whole fiasco, but it, nonetheless, we lost on the competition, uh, that edition of the show. Um, but then, you know, I'm, so I come home, you know, didn't make the football team, didn't win on Ninja warrior, been training for two and a half years now for this, these specific per, or really for the specific purpose of football. And I'm just sitting there like, 
well, what the hell do I do now? Like, what am I, what am I doing with my life? Like, at least I'm, you know, in school still, but you know, none of my plans were working out, uh, as expected. And, um, yeah, I ended up getting a, a text message from a friend that like sent me a tweet that said that, Hey, you know, they're having an actually another open tryout in the winter on this date. Uh-huh. And, and like they, they texted me that two days before the tryout. So I, I was still training and, and working, um, working out a lot, but not specifically for football. I'd almost given up on that, that idea. And, uh, figured out they had a tryout. I was like, Oh my gosh, ran, you know, skipped class, went to the tryout, ran to the facility, like on foot, um, did the tryout, didn't get accepted again. And then as I'm walking out of the building, the safety coach grabs me and he was like, yeah, I've been watching you this whole time. Let me see your numbers. And then he kept me afterwards. And then that's how I ended up making the team. My gosh. So who, who, who was that safety coach that was it Shiano? Uh, it was, was it? no, it was, um, it was the G so it was Matt Turin actually. Oh yeah. Coach no, I Turin. saw that guy on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. He's a phenomenal human being. So shout out to Matt. If he's listening to this, um, he probably doesn't even remember. He may remember, but that guy single-handedly got me on the team because essentially the way these tryouts work is you have these slips of paper and you show up there and you, you, they break you up into your positions. You go through all these, essentially combine style drills. So you're, yeah. you're 40, your shuttle, your, um, you know, different, sometimes they'll have you do jump stuff. Sometimes it's like just different drills. Um, but really they're looking at your 40 and your shuttle and they're trying to see like, who's like a genetic freak and who can yeah. like run really fast and help us on the team potentially on special teams, um, or just really with scout stuff. And so they're looking and they're watching and, um, yeah, I just, the walk-on coordinator at the time, for whatever reason, was not a fan of the, uh, the Clay Ratterman brand. So, <laughs> um, I guess, uh, I didn't get my slip pulled. So they, they take your slip. if They want to talk to you afterwards. Yeah. And, uh, I never got my slip pulled again. And so as I'm walking to the sidelines, Matt comes over and literally like grabs me out of the blue and is like, Hey, like stick around with me. We're going to do position drills after this. Wow. So basically everybody that they take their slip, they go and they do position drills, which are like, actually, Hey, this is what you'd probably be doing in practice. We want to see how you perform. And then once you do the position drills, basically if they need people at that time, if they have roster spots, they need bodies, they need, you know, they think you have a shot, then they'll, you know, they'll take you on from there. Man. So this, so it's one of those things like you go through your life, Clay. Yeah, we all have the days where it's like you don't even get out of your pajamas practically. I mean, maybe you don't have a day like that. I have a day like that. <laughs> no, then, I'm there too. I'm there too. But then you have these days in your life where it's like, it's like one of the 10 biggest days of your life that all these things are coming together at once. The, 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 yeah. And, you know, sometimes you go through that in life where it's like, man, I'm kind of just bopping along. And then like two great things are happening at the same time. And now you've Mm -hmm. got to figure it out. It happened to me in high school. I didn't know whether I should go to the quiz bowl competition or we got tickets through a lottery to Saturday night live. And I didn't know what to do. So I think that's very similar to Ninja and Ohio state football. I skipped the quiz bowl and I went to see Saturday night live, but it was Deborah Winger. I mean, it wasn't great. Clapton played three songs and I didn't really have an appreciation for Eric Clapton at that point. I was like, why are they doing three songs? I want another toots to sketch. But anyway, that's before you were born. So I can kind of relate to that, but you must've been freaking out on the day when you have these two things happening at once. And you're still a young man at that point in your life Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out like, what am I supposed to do here? 
when I have yeah. these two things converging at once, it kind of feels like you split the differences the best you could that you went to yes. football and still got yourself to LA. Yes. Yeah. And, and honestly, um, looking back on it, I, I definitely, if I were to have to choose, cause I actually thought I was going to have to choose. So yep. I was sitting there like debating in my head. I was like, man, I'm really going to let my brother down. If, if I like, like screw this up, I'd have to find a replacement or something like that. But I had made a promise already to my grandpa that I was going to try to, it was, it just was clear to me that I had a specific thing that I had to do. So no matter what, I was going to make that tryout and I was going to, you know, I'll drive to LA if I needed to, to try to help my brother and then win. Man. All right. So I want to get into the training stuff a little bit. What's your grandpa's name? What was your grandpa's name? Um, so my grandpa, his, his name is Richard. So my, my middle name is Richard, but uh, okay. he went by grandpa Dickey actually. Grandpa Dickey. So you made this. So what is it like for you then? You have this relationship with Grandpa Dickey. You make this promise to him and then you do it after these times when you thought it wasn't going to work out. What's that feeling like for you that even if say it hadn't worked out, Clay, you did everything you could do. You busted your butt, but then it actually happens. What's that like when you realize I'm actually going to be a walk on on the Ohio State football team then? Yeah. So I never, I honestly, I've never, I never told this story until after I was done playing. I mean, I told my family a little bit about it, but I never really told the full story of why I I walked on it and really the reasons behind it until after I was done um, because it was a really personal and private thing for me, but I knew, so I, I just have this feeling of like, I basically realized like when I get older if I don't at least try and, and didn't try to my absolute best abilities, I would forever regret this period of my life. And uh, I, I'm just trying to live a life and maximizing um, the ability to not have any regrets, essentially. So I really don't want to have any regrets looking back. And when I was going through it, I, I did have a point after that first failure where I sat back and I thought about everything. And I was like, I mean, I have worked my ass off it's okay if it doesn't happen as long as my effort matched, you know, the, the level of dedication and what I, what I had promised. So I, I was okay. And I think that acceptance, like I didn't accept that until after I had failed several times. So once I finally accepted, I was like, look, it's not always about the outcome, the level of effort that I put in, if I can sleep at night with the level of effort that I've given to this specific um, goal or really this promise that I made, then I'm okay with it. But that the second that I like accepted that and I knew that I'd given it my all, weirdly enough, life threw me another opportunity. So it was like at the point of complete failure, I'd failed like four or five different times. I tried everything I possibly could. I trained my ass off. I went to Ninja Warrior, failed at that. That was a random opportunity. And then I show up and um, you know, I, I just accepted the fact that maybe this isn't gonna happen, but I'm at least gonna keep trying my absolute best. And that like mental switch, for whatever reason, I got another opportunity and things ended up working out. And I'll never forget. I, so we ended up getting a text message. It was uh, actually the day of my brother's birthday. We were like going to a family event, like a family dinner for my brother. And uh, I got a text that day, that night, it was Friday evening. And it just said, be at the Woody at 5 a.m. on Monday. Oh my gosh. And that was like the, the signal that we made it. And so I literally, I, I pretty much just cried. Like I, I was in my bedroom and I remember like sitting there, like at first I was like, 
I checked with my other two walk-on friends. I was like, did we make it? Like, is this real? Like, are we good? And then once they were freaking out too, I, I literally just remember crying because I was like so happy that like it, it was so shocking to me that it did end up working out the way that it did. Like, I was like, wow, like this is why people always say like, you got to have faith. You got to just keep going. You got, you know, all those cliche quotes, like all of a sudden made sense for my life at that point. My goodness. All right. So then, so this is the 2017 season that you lined up. So then what's the experience like? What's the experience of like, you made it. What was your experience like as an Ohio state walk on? Well, so initially I was like, wow, like I made it. I accomplished all these goals. And then you show up at the Woody at 5am and you're like, oh my God, I didn't make it. I didn't do anything yet. Like the journey has just begun. (laughs) So my friends and I, we always joke about this. Like I basically, there was a handful of us walk-ons that ended up making it. There were only two walk-ons like out of our entire group of people and even groups beyond our groups of walk-ons that have been there. Myself, Nick Simi and Jackson Hayes were the only three that made it through the entire thing um, that were actually like well-respected, did everything proper, you know, made it through the whole program, like we ended up, you know, getting a little bit of playing time here and there and like doing everything properly and in making it through everything. So a lot of people washed out or got cut or, you know, different okay. things happen. Um, but I do remember thinking like that first mat drills when you show up and it's, they're screaming winner loser at you and you're, you're getting your ass kicked for the first time. Cause I mean, these are like some of the best athletes in the, they are the best athletes in the nation. So yeah. when you show up and you, uh, you haven't experienced that level of competitiveness yet, and you get, you lose every single round on your first day of uh, mat drills. And you're like, okay, uh, I got to step up my game. That's like the moment it clicked for me where I was like, I haven't accomplished anything. Like I, the only thing I did was complete step one or like right. maybe half of a step if that. Okay. So then what, what did you, what was the experience like during the season then? What was it? I mean, you're you run in scout team or like what? Oh, what was that, oh what was ex- all that the experience. Like? Yeah. The experience there is absolutely incredible. I mean, it's a testament to uh, the culture that they've built and the coaches that they have um, and the players, honestly. I mean, the people that are there, it's such an elite environment that anybody that walks through the door, I mean, the amount of value you get from being in that environment and being around those people and training like that. And, you know, having coach Mick there, just an absolute legend, just like of accountability and leadership and pushing you to that level it just all the different aspects of training throughout the year leads you up to the season. And then that's where things really kick into gear. And you're like, all right, now it's time to show what we've been, you know, working for all this time. So the season part too, incredible, um, a lot of ups and downs. So obviously that, you know, that year was pretty, pretty wild for us. I mean, some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows. I mean, I can't tell you how insane the Penn state win was when, you know, we make that crazy comeback, 38-37 victory, you know, people storm in the field, night game, like that. Seriously, I, I'll never forget that the rest of my life. It's one of the craziest football games I've ever been a part of and will probably ever see till I die, um, at least, you know, in my opinion. And, um, yeah, so those types of highs and, like, Big Ten championships, Cotton Bowl championships, things like that were um, things I'll never forget, especially senior night. Um, and like having my family come out there and like seeing how proud other people are of yeah. like, just cause you know, we grew up Buckeye fans. So my whole family is a Buckeye, every single person in my family is a Buckeye fan. So for them to be able to, to 
or for me to, I guess, provide them with that experience of being like, you know, taking ownership and like, Hey, I raised this, this kid, you know, he's a Buckeye, our family's Buckeyes. Um, it was really cool to be able to, uh, to have those experiences. All right. I get it. You love the Buckeyes. You played football, yeah. blah, 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 yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you got I it. I want to talk about Ninja Warrior. No, I'm, <laughs> I mean, people, this is, and this is one of these things, Clay, and you understand this having gone through this now. Listen, I mean, who, uh, people listening to this, people across Ohio or across this country, they, they'd cut off a finger to get a chance to be a Buckeye, right? So, I mean, like when everybody, when anybody gets to live that experience, I think it is, it is incredibly interesting to anybody who cares about the Buckeyes to listen to somebody who lived it. You know, mm-hmm. and appreciates it and, and fought to get the chance to do it. So I think your story is incredibly interesting. But let me ask you this. What is the difference between Ninja Warrior muscles and football muscles? Oh. Are they the same thing or <laughs> not? Not even close. I don't even think you want that much. To be totally honest, you don't want that much muscle for Ninja Warrior. Hmm. Um, oh, then I'm football, good. I'm good to go. I <laughs> no, honestly. Warrior. I mean, hey, just, I mean, the the more, so it really, it comes down to grip strength and it just for anybody out there listening, if they're, they are into Ninja Warrior and things like that, um, or if you're into football and Ninja Warrior, basically the lighter you are as a human being, the easier it's going to be to hold on to things for longer. Um, a little bit of muscle can definitely help, but Typically on Ninja Warrior, you see the best people being either gymnastics-based or rock climbers um, yeah. just because of their grip strength and then the ability to control their body really well. Parkour people do well um, too. But yeah, anybody who has good body control is generally athletic and has really good grip strength is definitely a shoe-in for Ninja Warrior. But for football, man, total opposite. I mean, you're, you're trying to get big um, muscles so that you, when you hit people, it doesn't inflicts pain rather than hurts it for you. So, um, I, I think for me at the time, I, I was not that focused on Ninja warrior. And, um, I did end up going to compete on the show a second time, um, on the regular edition, but I wasn't ready for that experience either. To be honest, I was dating a girl that uh, I had met on the show and the producers figured out that we were dating and they were like, Oh my gosh, what a great story. We want to have you guys back on. So they kind of called us out of the blue and, um, I did terrible that time. Cause it was like a two, it was like a couple week notice and I had not been training for Ninja warrior, of course. And, uh, she did amazing. So she was a pole vaulter and like she, so this is another great example. She was a pole vaulter, uh, previous gymnast, like super good body control. She's actually the one that won the, uh, she won the college edition of the show. So she was wow. like, she was a killer. Yeah. You gotta have her on. She's a, uh, incredible athlete. So that was the person I was dating at the time. And she basically went on and just destroyed, like she crushed, went through, did really well. I go on there and I fall on like the second or third obstacle. And it was just like, I was like, Oh, well, this isn't good. <laughs> Not good for the brand, but, um, nonetheless, it was fun. But the difference between the two for sure would be grip strength, body control, and you want to be light. And then for football, I mean, you want to be as strong and as fast as you possibly can. So I would say like, don't train for both of those at the same time. Yeah. That, that is divergent. Like maybe more divergent than people would even realize. Like what did you, when you were the were walk, when you were the walk on and made the team, then like, what was your body weight roughly when you were playing then at Ohio state? When I made the team, I would say 185. And to okay. be honest, um, 
I'm glad that coach Mick and some of the strength people kept it around that because any heavier for me, and it would be like pretty unnatural for just my, my size. I'm six yeah. foot tall. So I was like six foot one eighty five, but my DEXA scan was like, uh, that means like body fat percentage was really low. So I was like as lean as I could get for that amount of, of, of weight um, at the time. So it was like, it, it made sense for me to be that way. And you, they, they grade your weight every single day you go in. So you got to be within 1% of your, your goal body weight every day. So it's pretty, pretty on point. I'm around six feet. I'm a little over six feet. And let me tell you, my frame can hold more than 185. If you really need to get over 185, Clay. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> it's not muscle. It's not muscle, but it's over 185. So you can get there. What, what, if you were going to be like the ideal Ninja Warrior shape, would it be 185 or would you try to get lower than that? I would want to cut weight. So I actually tried to do this for the, I mean, I had like four weeks to train for the second one, but I did try to cut as much weight as I could because. So here's the thing. When you're training for Ninja Warrior, if you're training for grip strength and stuff, there's two ways that you can get a stronger grip. Um, you can lose a bunch of weight or you can get a stronger grip. And unfortunately, the uh, getting a stronger grip takes a really long time. So you're, okay. you're training a lot of tendons, a lot of um, different little things that are in your arms and hands that aren't necessarily muscles and they don't they don't tear down like muscle fibers do. And so it's basically like to get good grip strength, you need to be doing a lot of stuff that involves, you know, hanging and grip strength and ninja training for an extended period of time. So like you might get, you know, two, three, 4% better, maybe 5% better with your grip strength over the course of a year. But if you do that over two, three years, four years, that's why those rock climbers, the difference between dead hanging on a bar and holding yourself there for one minute and holding yourself there for two minutes doesn't seem like a lot, but that's massive. Like that means a huge amount has changed in your grip strength. And so people don't realize like even in Ninja Warrior, like when you're going and doing the obstacles, just that extra year or two of grip strength training or that extra two minutes you can hold yourself on a bar or 10 minutes you can hold yourself on a bar makes a world of difference. So uh, I think if, I mean, I, I guess, what was the question pertaining to? I guess it was like- <laughs> I can't even remember. I mean, I got this- I'm so interested in Ninja in Ninja Warrior. I was asking about, I guess, like cutting weight, like what your ideal weight would yeah, be. Oh, yeah. No, Ninja so uh, again, for me personally, I didn't have the time to train that that grip training to be like to the level where I would feel actually confident in like being able to try to attempt to make the, the final rounds of the show. So for me, I had to just try to cut weight because, you know, you can do so much for your grip in, in four weeks, but at the end of the day, um, you're going to have to lose weight if you want it to improve significantly. All right, quick break here on Buckeye Talk. When we come back, Clay Raderman will give you the final advice on how to be a Ninja <laughs> Warrior and how to make the Ohio State football team. He guarantees that you can do it right after this. <laughs> yes. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. So, Clay, you're still a young man. What are you, like 24, 25? I'm 25. 25, yes, I think. No, no, sorry. I am 24. I am getting ahead of myself. I, as you can see, I have this massive calendar right here. Yes. Um, it's a one year at a glance calendar. And uh, I have right there, April 16th. Uh, if you guys want to send me a ton of presents, I would love that. Right around um, the spring game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No. So um, I have written right there that I will be one 
quarter of the way to a hundred years old. So awesome. yeah, I'll be 25. Oh my God. You're going to make it too. This yeah. is like they're, the people in your generation who are fit, you're going to live to be like 117 or something. So uh, I hope not. <laughs> you'll be doing Ninja Warrior at a hundred still. So, so, <laughs> so let me ask this. Um, are, are you, is there more Ninja Warrior ring in your future? You've done it twice. I mean, do mm. you, are you still training for it? Would you, you're going to go back and would you like to make another run at it sometime? Yeah. So that's a good question. I, I am a guy who loves to do challenges, like I mentioned earlier, and I'm interested in a lot of different challenges. So this past year, my friends and I, we did like a hundred miler, which was like a hundred mile run. Uh, this year I'm doing MMA stuff. So I'm training for a, a, a smoker type of event. It's like a unsanctioned fight event here at the end of the month. I'm trying to do uh, an Ironman by the end of the year. So I'm, I have a bunch of different, tri- like I like to dive into different aspects of training just to push yeah. myself and see, you know, what different areas I enjoy and what I don't enjoy. I've done the Ninja Warrior thing twice. Um, one, one time where I actually felt, you know, the college edition where I, I felt like I was, you know, somewhat confident going in. And then the second time where I really wasn't that confident because I didn't have the training for it. Um, so I think I would like to give it another go and give it my actual attention and and do an actual training regimen for that. I don't think it'll be anytime soon though. I think, I think they've, uh, yeah, they probably, they probably are are sick of having me on there at this point. I've been, I've been on there twice. They, They need to get some other people on there, but I'll be like that. Hopefully, uh, you know, make a comeback in a couple of years. I like it. I, that that comeback story. People love that stuff, man. I yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah, run the hundred mile thing. Fight some random guy in the smoke. Yeah, exactly. Room, build your, you know, and then come back and be like this versatile like guy. Yeah. Who does all this crazy stuff. Um, Real ninja. Oh, sorry. So I. So you. You are a very active person. You do many things. Clay, tell tell the Buckeye Talk audience like what else you're doing if they want to keep up with you. Um, if they want to like be motivated by what you're doing, you don't get some business stuff you're doing too. I know you were giving advice on YouTube on if you want to be a football walk on advice for that. So just, uh, this might take 20 minutes for you to run all the things (laughs) that you're doing with your life. 24 year old Clay Ratterman, but what can people follow about you? Yeah. I mean, if you guys do want to follow, uh, things that I'm doing, I am kind of all over the place. I do a lot of different stuff. Um, I do, um, run a couple businesses right now. So I'm, I'm in the entrepreneurial space for sure. I do not live the, uh, the typical nine to five life right now. But what I would say is if there is younger athletes listening or anybody that has kids that are athletes or younger athletes, um, they can follow me on YouTube. My name is just Clay Ratterman. Um, I do give advice for kids that, that were not able to get scholarships. And I do try to try to help as many people as I can understand the path of being a walk-on and how to do it correctly um, and how to succeed at it. So I give advice on walk on stuff, um, business stuff as well. Um, heavily involved in the entrepreneurship stuff, like I mentioned, and then, um, yeah, just Instagram. My, my handle is clay rat. Um, not as active on Twitter, unfortunately, Doug. So <laughs> that's all right. Leave Twitter to the sports writers. That's all we got, man. Exactly. Exactly. But what, and what's the podcast you said that you do? Oh yeah. So I, I just started a podcast pretty recently. It's called clay and company really a creative name there. Um, but yeah, I just have on, I honestly, it's a, a breadth of different topics. I haven't niched it down into one specific thing. I have a lot of my walk on friends on there, uh, to discuss like our stories and our experiences. And then, um, yeah, I, I really have people on from all over. We talk about business and, 
you know, anything that we want to talk about that's, again, good content for you guys. That's good stuff, man. I mean, listen, I got to tell you, I mean, if, if we can do a podcast here at Buckeye Talk, anybody can do a podcast. So I'm sure your podcast <laughs> will be incredibly successful uh, with the way you have this drive. You, no, you guys are crushing it. You, you don't give yourself enough credit. You guys have an amazing, amazing production here. We, uh, well, we like to have good guests. That helps. So let's you carry the load for half an hour here. So, um, well, Clay, this is very interesting. I just, I find that, that let me wrap up with it. Ninja Warrior athletes, though, like pretty freaky. Right. I mean, like so yeah. much, to, to be able to do the combination of upper body strength and um, flexibility and short of the, sh- there's like the short area quickness a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going into that, that it is kind of a rare type of athlete who can succeed at that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And, and honestly, they don't get enough credit. I think they, um, I think when Ninja Warrior originally came out, it was like, hey, who can do these obstacles? Like, can anybody do these? And, you know, like I said, gymnasts, rock climbers, and parkour people seem to come in and crush the game, and pole vaulters as well, actually. Um, But then as things have expanded over time, Ninja Warrior got so big that it actually became almost a sport in its own. And you've really seen that develop over the past few years here where there's actual Ninja Warrior type athletes. Like there's Ninja Warrior influencers on social media. And there's these people that are like, hey, my sport is Ninja Warrior. And like you probably your kids growing up, there's Ninja Warrior gyms that you can train at. And so I think nowadays um, with there being so many Ninja gyms that are out there, it's really become a sport of its own. And you've been starting to see that because of that, you know, people are getting really good at doing these obstacles. So I think a lot of it is, you know, grip strength and actually like, you know, how much time you put in. Cause some of these athletes have been doing these obstacles and doing obstacle training now for five, six, seven, sometimes 10 years. And they're, they're so far of anybody so far ahead of anybody that hasn't been doing that training. I still can't understand how people do a pull-up. So like when I watch Ninja <laughs> Warrior, I'm like, how could a human lift his or her own body weight that seems against nature to me so we gotta get you on we gotta get you on that show there's a ninja gym right in columbus or right in worthington i think what do you get you over there are noodles i'm long but i'm not lean and i'm not strong (laughs) so i am like the i have all the worst attributes of being a ninja no no you just gotta give it give it six months training we'll get you on the show that would be quite a thing i mean it's like if i that I mean, that would be that would be too much. That would get great listenership here on Buckeye. That's Doug what I'm Doug. saying. Follow Doug Lamarie's <laughs> training for, for Ninja content. Warrior. <laughs> it's for the content, Doug. You got to do it. That and that's the only reason I do anything is we talked beforehand. <laughs> I said I don't even have human conversations anymore that I can't record and put <laughs> exactly. on a podcast. So Clay, Genius. you seem like you seem like the kind of guy that I would enjoy enjoy just calling up and talking about life with you, but I'm not going to do it because if we do it, we do it on a podcast. I'm not <laughs> That's actually it. true. And, and I appreciate that because I'm here for the content. I, I like the content game too. Yeah. The content game. It never stops, baby. You always got to keep hustling on the content game. Um, all right. Clay Ratterman. That was a lot of fun. I really, I just am I'm enamored. I think a lot of people are, you, you turn on Ninja warrior and you just think, man, like that's really cool. And to talk to somebody who went through it is really interesting. And your football story, I think is inspiring to everybody listening to this who loves the Buckeyes and just would imagine in their own head, man, the opportunity to be something, to be part of something like that. And you actually made it happen. And I'm sure mm-hmm. grandpa Dickie uh, couldn't be prouder of everything you've done. So that's really Sir. cool. Really cool. Thank you for Appreciate your time. It. Thanks everybody out there who, uh, who listened to this Buckeye talk. 
Make sure you come back for the Friday one. Steven and Nathan and I will be back for that. But for now, on behalf of Clay, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>